Well, it has been the plan from the beginning that those who are made in God's image live on the earth in such a way that we reflect His glory. When God placed man in the garden, He was to resemble him in every way. He was to reveal His character and His likeness in all that He did. If you wanted to get a sense of what God was like, you would be able to look at the man, this human creation, totally distinct from any of the creatures that God has made. The man was to bear His glory, to bear His image, to reveal His attributes. Now we know that this was lost in the fall, and that when man sinned, he lost the capacity to represent his Creator in this way. He no longer had the will or the ability to do what was right. He no longer lived in relationship with God with his daily pursuit being to glorify God. In a word, the man became lost. But that all changed with the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as the second Adam, came down to truly demonstrate what God was like. He was God made flesh, and He not only revealed the invisible God for all to see, but He came to restore the fallen sons of Adam so that we too have the ability to show the world the unseen God. This is what it means to be born again. We are made new so that our purpose becomes to reflect the glory of our Creator in how we think and act and live. If you want a definition of what a disciple is, I just gave it to you. That is what a disciple is. Someone who daily strives to imitate God in every way. And one of those ways that is vitally important that we do this is in the area of forgiveness. God is a forgiving God rich in mercy, abounding in loving kindness, and we as His restored image bearers must reflect Him in this area. We are to be like God in how we forgive. Now, this is especially important because there is much confusion about how God forgives. The world hears that God is a forgiving God and assumes that means His forgiveness is both universal, which means for all people, and unconditional, meaning no matter what. They believe that while they have done wrong in their life, in the end, God will forgive them. Maybe if you press them on it, they might put some qualifiers on it. They might say, well, you can't be a murderer or anything like that. But unless your sins make the nightly news, I mean, the chances are really good that God is going to forgive you. It's like Catherine the Great once said, God will forgive me. That's His job. It's the idea that a person does not need to submit their will to God in any way, nor change his course, because everything will be okay in the end because God forgives. That's very common thinking of unbelievers today. 
Now, while most Christians recognize that is not the case, many, unfortunately, lend to this erroneous view as His restored image bearers by practicing forgiveness in a way that is unlike God. Right? So, we are to reflect God in every way. We are to show the world what the unseen God is like. And one of those ways is in how we forgive And a lot of Christians do not forgive as God forgives. If God does not forgive universally and unconditionally, then neither should we. Now, if that sounds surprising, hang in with me. We're going to look at this in the text. This is a very important subject because if anything the Christian needs to get right, it is the subject of forgiveness our entire identity is wrapped up in forgiveness this is the message we proclaim to the world the very basis of our relationship depends on it and so if we are to be experts in any subject we should be experts in this one and if we are not we might lead others astray in how they think about the forgiveness of god So, I want us to think about this this afternoon, and we are going to do it from this text. Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. In other words, listen up, this is important. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So we have seen over the last two weeks, Jesus teaching on various topics relating to discipleship. The first week was a warning about tempting others. We are to love our brothers in Christ and we are to do whatever we can to not place a stumbling block in front of them. Meaning we are to not tempt other believers to sin. Woe to that person. And then last week we saw that part of loving other believers involves correcting others. So living in community with one another, we are our brother's keeper and we are to bring a brother or sister back on course by rebuking them when they go astray. And then, of course, this week we will consider how we must be forgiving others. A necessary part of restoring believers is to forgive when they sin against us. So, let's talk about what we mean here. I will call this the mechanics of forgiveness. What are we talking about? Well, let's begin what, with what it does not mean. Asking for forgiveness is not the same as offering an apology. If you have sinned against a brother or sister and you desire forgiveness, it is not the same thing for you to go to them and say, I am sorry. In fact, the word apology we get from the Greek, which is apologia, 
And that means to give an offense. Or sorry, to give a defense. Maybe you've heard of the field of Christian apologetics and people who write books and speak at seminars on Christian apologetics are teaching Christians to do what? To give a defense of the faith. So that's what the word means. It means a defense. So that should alert us to the fact that the word apology is not related to forgiveness, but it's related to defending one's position. Think about the last time you offended someone and you said, I am sorry. What inevitably comes after that statement whenever you say, I am sorry? Well, it is your apology. In other words, you give reasons, you give a defense for your actions. Let's say you're very short-tempered with someone. Let's say you, you say some hurtful words to that person. And then you come to your senses, you realize you're being difficult, and you say to that person, I am sorry that I am, I am sorry for yelling at you. You know what's coming next. Your defense. I'm sorry for yelling at you. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Or, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I haven't eaten anything all day. Now, the point I want to make here is an apology is not the admission of sin where you're asking for forgiveness, but rather an apology usually is a defense for your actions. Or let's say you're running late to meet a friend for lunch and you show up 15 minutes late and you say, I'm sorry I was late. It doesn't end right there, does it? You give a defense. I'm sorry I was late. I couldn't find my wallet. I'm sorry I was late. There was traffic. I'm sorry I was late. I had to stop and get gas. That's fine. It's not necessarily a sin to be late. But the point I just want to convey is an apology is not the same thing as asking for forgiveness. In an apology, you are usually not taking responsibility for your actions. I want you to be aware of this in your life. As you interact with each other, as you interact with others, I want you to be aware of this. You are essentially saying, I have a good reason for offending you with my anger. Lack of sleep. So in our home, we teach our children not to apologize, but they are to ask for forgiveness. Saying, I am sorry, may express regret over something that you did, but it is not the same thing as forgiveness because forgiveness requires the admission of sin. There must be an admission of sin for there to be forgiveness. If a person does not admit there is sin, they will not respond by asking for forgiveness, and then you cannot respond by granting forgiveness. So instead of trying to excuse your actions, the 
apologia, your defense, you should say, please forgive me for my anger. The scripture says that the anger, uh, that man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God and my sinful anger was directed toward you. Please forgive me. That is taking responsible. That is not trying to make a defense or an excuse. Instead of saying the apology route, I am sorry I said those things about you. I didn't mean it, which you did mean it. Repentance begins with an admission of guilt. You should say, forgive me for saying those things about you. I was angry and I wanted to hurt you. And I was wrong. Please forgive me. That was sinful. So asking for forgiveness is not equivalent to offering an apology because forgiveness involves the admission of sin. It is not about making excuses for your behavior. It is recognizing that you sinned against this person, which is also a sin against your God. And so you must now seek reconciliation because of that. Now, this is important for all of us to know because all of us at one point or another are going to be asking for forgiveness and at one point or another are going to be granting forgiveness. So this is a subject we should really, really get dialed in. What is forgiveness? I like Jay Adams' uh, definition. He's got a book called From Forgiveness to Forgiven, I believe is the name of the title. But he says this, Forgiveness is a promise to not remember the other person's sin by bringing it up to him by bringing it up to others, or by bringing it up to yourself. Forgiveness is a promise to not remember the other person's sin by bringing it up to him, by bringing it up to others, or by bringing it up to yourself. So, this is what true forgiveness is. It is a promise. A promise to release the other person from their debt against you. It is not something you feel, but based on something you promise. And this is also how God forgives. And we want to be God's image bearers in the world, and we want to forgive like God. So, I created a simple outline <clears throat> using our text about how God forgives which is also how we are to forgive. First and foremost, God forgives completely. Disciples are to reflect the unseen God in how we live, and we know that God forgives completely. And because God forgives completely, we are to do the same. Jesus says in verse 3, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Again, forgiveness is a decision of the will to no longer hold this person in a place of guilt. When you practice forgiveness, you are enacting a promise that this offense is no longer a sin you will remember. 
Sounds easy, right? What makes forgiveness so challenging is that we have these things called feelings. Feelings are good and they are from God. But quite frankly, sometimes they get in the way of us doing the will of God. And yet to be like God who forgives completely, we have to surrender our feelings to be subordinate to our promise. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you've had feelings of anger towards someone. Have you ever been angry at someone who has sinned against you and they come to you and ask for forgiveness and you do not want to give it to them? What they have done is so big in your eyes and your feelings are so strong that you do not feel like forgiving them. And so you somehow think, well, maybe I can only truly grant them forgiveness if my feelings change about the situation. Or you think that your forgiveness of the person is not genuine because you still have these feelings of anger inside. But beloved, forgiveness is not about feelings, it's about promise. We are not to be people who are driven by our feelings. Jesus says, when your brother repents, forgive him. He doesn't say, forgive him once you feel like it. He doesn't say, it's only legitimate forgiveness if you no longer have any ill feelings toward that person. It's a command to you to commit to a promise. You are choosing to release this person from any and all guilt for what they have done. And guess what? That is how God does it. He forgives completely. It is not the way the world forgives. You know how the world forgives? It's a very popular maxim in our day. I forgive you, but I won't forget. Anyone ever heard that before? Anyone ever thought that before? <laughs> Now, that might make sense in the world, but we're talking about biblical forgiveness here, which would make that nonsensical because it implies that you will still be holding on to their sin. You will still be holding that sin against the person. To say, I forgive you, but I won't forget, sounds a lot like you're still going to hold that sin against the person. Contrary to that, Biblical forgiveness releases the person from the debt as if he or she never sinned against you. That is true biblical forgiveness. We are to forgive as God forgives, and God forgives completely. Which means, He doesn't hold your sin against you. He doesn't broadcast your sin to others. And He doesn't sit and stew on it, reminding himself of what you've done over and over, day after day. Now, this doesn't mean that you are somehow magically able to remove that from your thinking to where you completely forget. 
but it does mean that you will not remember. There is a difference. Again, God is our example. Jeremiah 31.34, listen to what the Lord says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now God, the omniscient God, meaning He knows everything, is not blacking out His memory somehow. He's not removing your sin from His mental database. That's not what being, is being communicated here. Forgetting something is passive. right? So if I say to you, I cannot remember what I preached a year ago today in this church, neither can you. Right, so that's that's a that's just that just reflects a deficiency in our memory. But God is deficient in nothing. What He says about forgiveness is a far more wonderful thing because it is an action that God is doing. He is making a promise to you: I will not remember your sin. He's not saying I'm going to forget your sin. He's making a promise to you. I will not remember it. He knows you did it. He's omniscient. He has all the knowledge there is to know, and yet He is making a promise to you that He chooses to never again hold it against you. That is biblical forgiveness. It is total. It is complete. It is never to be rehearsed again. And it is never to be brought against the person once they are forgiven. This is the same way we are to forgive others. If your brother sins against you and he repents, forgive him. Not bringing it up to him later on. Not talking to others about it. Not reminding him of what he has done in the past. The only exception to this is if you are loving your brother who is in sin or who is going down the wrong path and there are similar characteristics of their behavior that point to a prior sin against you that you have forgiven, it could be righteous to bring up that sin again even though it's been forgiven, but for the sake of helping your brother to see that he's going in the wrong direction. But that is an exception. The rule is you are not rehearsing these things whether to them or to others or even to yourself. Because that's how God forgives. He forgives completely. Secondly, God forgives transactionally. Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, I think this is the central area where well-meaning Christians go astray from what biblical forgiveness is. Many Christians think that we are just to forgive everybody in every circumstance, regardless of 
remorse or repentance. They look at certain verses in the Bible where there is an attitude of forgiveness and they think that means we are just to forgive everyone no matter what in every circumstance. Now, two, verse, two, two texts lend to this thinking. One of them, Jesus is on the cross. What does He pray as He is on the cross to His enemies, for His enemies? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Right? So Jesus is asking for forgiveness for them. Another example is Stephen when he is being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. It says, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so well-meaning Christians see this attitude of forgiveness or a posture of forgiveness and confuse it with the transaction of forgiveness. Right? So they see the heart of Stephen. They see the heart of Jesus in wanting their murderers to be forgiven, which is a reflection of their heart. And they mistakenly think that forgiveness means we forgive others universally, unconditionally. However, the Bible teaches us, and Luke 17.3 is one of those places, that we are never to extend forgiveness to another person apart from their first admitting of and repenting of sin. We are to never extend forgiveness, meaning we say, I forgive you, to someone else who has sinned against us apart from them humbling themselves, admitting their sin, and asking for forgiveness. Now, why is this important? Because forgiveness involves a transaction. Forgiveness is a transaction between two parties with the goal of reconciliation. And if there is never an admission of guilt and a turning away from sin, reconciliation cannot take place. Sin puts a barrier between two people and it causes separation. So let's say you have a roommate and your roommate stole money from you and he was caught stealing money from you and there is no remorse. He does not care. He does not care that you needed that money for groceries. He does not care that the trust that you had between you and him has been broken. And you good-naturedly, with a tender heart toward God, say, Hey man, it's okay. I forgive you. Thinking that is the godly way to deal with this. Well, he doesn't care. Yeah, you can do what you want. I don't care. That's fine with me. There's no remorse. And there's no repentance. And that means there is no reconciliation. There's no removal of that sin. There's no restoration of the broken trust. There is an attitude of forgiveness present in the Christian, but there can be no transaction of forgiveness between the, in the relationship. Forgiveness requires repentance, 
And if there is no repentance, there can be no reconciliation. The Gospel of Matthew points this out more clearly. In fact, it gives us steps we are to take for the sake of reconciliation. We've already heard them. I'm going to put them on the screen here so we can see them again. Reconciliation is the goal, and here is how it is done. Matthew 18.15 If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What does he mean you have gained your brother? Well, he means that there has been a separation because of sin, and now he has listened and repented. There is a restoration of that relationship. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is also for the sake of reconciliation. We want the brother to be on the right course. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, he's not a real believer. His baptism is invalidated. He's not a true member of the body of Christ. And his sin has demonstrated that. So, you have been sinned against, like we saw last week. God expects you to go to the person to deal with the sin. Remember, we talked about that. The one who knows goes. And you are to go and be reconciled. You don't sit back and say, well, if he, wants to, if he wants to come to me and admit his sin, I'm right here. He knows where I live. No, Jesus wants you to go and deal with it for the sake of reconciliation. You're not to go to others. You're not to go tell your friends. Notice how it says here in the text, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You're not to post something on Facebook. I've seen that one. But if he doesn't repent, you don't say, it's okay, I forgive you. No, that does not benefit him spiritually at all, and it does not bring reconciliation to that relationship at all. The person is in sin, and he's not only damaged the relationship with you, but he evidences that he is not in a good relationship with God, because he's in willful sin and rebellion. We are to reflect our Heavenly Father in everything, and just as God does not forgive people apart from repentance, we too are not to forgive others without it. Well, someone might say, well then why did Jesus ask for forgiveness? Why did Stephen ask for forgiveness for those who were stoning him? And this brings up a very important aspect of forgiveness that I've already mentioned, that we are to have an attitude of forgiveness. We are to be forgiving the person before God. This this is I don't want you to miss this. It's really important. We are not to have a transaction with them, but before God, we are to release them from that bondage or from that uh, sin against us, 
so that we don't live lives of bitterness and bondage. So in other words, say a brother has sinned against you, you don't declare forgiveness to the person, but in secret to God, you are praying for him. You are asking for him. You are forgiving him before God in the sense that you are not holding it against him because your desire, your prayers, what you're hoping for is that there is reconciliation. That he will come to you and ask for forgiveness. So, you are not to live with the burden of someone else's sin against you until they repent. Because there is a chance they might never repent. And so God doesn't want us to, to grow bitter and to grow hardened because we have people sinning against us and they've never ask for forgiveness. We are to, in our hearts before God, offer a kind of forgiveness between us and God so that we are releasing that person and not holding on to that, putting ourselves in bondage. Some years ago, when we lived on uh, just south of River Street, my office overlooked where the dumpsters are, which is always the view you want, you know. Ooh, could I have the apartment by the dumpsters? And there was this couple that I used to see from time to time that would ride bikes around and go through the dumpsters. And I'm working on a sermon one time, and the Lord really just puts it on my heart to go talk to them. And so I go talk to them and I get to know them and they tell me they're ex-drug addicts. They're just trying to get their life back together. And, and so I decide I'm going to give them some odd jobs so I can give them some money. Uh, their names are David and Elizabeth. And um, I, they would come over from time to time. When we moved, they came in and cleaned the house uh, before we moved in and when my wife and kids went on a trip one time, I wanted to surprise my wife by painting our bedroom, and so they helped with that. And probably gave them 20-odd jobs over the course of three or four years. And I would share the gospel with them. I'd invite them to church. And a couple years after all of that, David, they'd both gotten, they'd gotten a divorce. They were a married couple. He moved away. I'd see her from time to time. She decided she wanted to come to church one Sunday when we were meeting on uh, Central. And after the service, she felt like she needed to confess something to me. And she said that she and David had been stealing from us and was citing all of the times that they had stolen. She said, on one occasion, you had left us alone and we went through some of your drawers and we, we found some cash and we took that. And then another time, uh, you ran to the hardware store because we were out of paintbrushes or something and, and, and David stole some jewelry out of the jewelry box in your bedroom. And another time, he stole two watches from your office. And she was, felt terrible. She was so sorry. She 
I don't know if she repented before God, but she was repenting before me. She wanted my forgiveness. And I gave her my forgiveness completely and totally. And I was glad she confessed that. Um, uh, our, our, we had, had a re- good restored relationship. I was always kind and good to her and, you know, everything was good. David, on the other hand, moved away so I don't see him anymore. But he has never come to me and confessed that. He has never contacted me and said, hey, we did this thing, I sinned against you. Uh, never once. And so, this was years ago, I haven't seen him in years. I personally have completely been free from any sort of bitterness toward him. And the way I did that was, before God, I released him from any sort of guilt towards me. Now, he and I cannot have any kind of relationship until there is repentance and forgiveness. So that's the transactional thing I've been talking about. But I have no ill feelings towards him. When I think about him, I I am burdened to pray for him. I think about him on judgment day, not only you know, living the life of drugs and sin, but stealing from people, people who reached out to them, people who shared the gospel with them, people who trusted them into their home and then stealing from them. That burdens me to pray for him because that's a fearful thing, you know. And so my point in saying all that is this is the kind of attitude of forgiveness I think Jesus demonstrates on the cross and that Stephen demonstrates as he's being stoned. It's like, I don't want this man to fall into judgment, Lord. Please, God, forgive him. Open his eyes. Put other Christians in his life so that they can point him to you. Open his heart and don't harden it so that he may be forgiven. So contrary to the universalist idea that God forgives everyone, we know from Scripture that God forgives those who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, and only then can there be reconciliation because only then can there be transactional forgiveness. That is how God does it. That is how you and I are to do it. We are to forgive completely. We are to forgive transactionally. And then thirdly, we are to forgive regularly. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, I'm going to have to expand on this idea next week. Because the entire point of this teaching, I think, is Jesus moving His disciples to say this, where He tells His disciples, you are to forgive each other all the time. That there is not going to be a limit to your forgiveness for one another. He says seven times, but we're going to find out that that is a symbolic number. He just means over and over and over and over. Seven times in one day? What kind of forgiveness is this? It's the kind of forgiveness that God offers you. It's the kind where we live in community with one another and we receive and we grant forgiveness over and over and over again. Forgiving as we have been forgiven. How have we been forgiven? We've been forgiven completely. 
our sins have been taken away, never brought against us again. This is the good news of the Gospel, that Jesus becomes our substitute, the second Adam. He takes our place by bearing our sins. His perfect life is credited to our account so that when God the Father sees us who are joined to Christ, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He forgives our sins completely. He forgives us transactionally. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have come to a place of repentance. You have confessed your sins. You have turned from them. And God, in response, forgives you and reconciles you to Himself. So we've been forgiven completely, transactionally, and as we will see next time, regularly, because God is still forgiving you. If you are here today and you think God forgave you one time in Jesus Christ and that's it, and you don't need to confess your sins anymore and you don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore, I really want you to come next week because that is not biblical thinking either. We are to confess our sins daily, be forgiven daily, and God continues to forgive us throughout our days, all of our lives He does this regularly, which we will see next time. Let us pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, how we want to reflect you in how we live, in how we engage the world, in how we live in community with one another. We want to forgive as we have been forgiven. And we want to glorify You in how we do that. And so, Lord, help us with this thing called forgiveness. This very big, important, and weighty subject. Help us to be experts in it. Help us to be experts in practicing it. And so, Lord, that we would honor You and glorify You in how we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.